Today's episode of Raptors Reasonless is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, 10, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as usual, already annoying me before we go on air to record, as usual, Eric Green. What's going on, buddy? Blake, it's a special day. It is uh, the two-year adoption anniversary of Walter. Happy adoption anniversary to Walter, the best boy. Damn. he's uh, He's been through a lot. In those yes. two years, yeah, he got fat. He's uh, he got, he's he gotten got fat. He's lost the weight. Yeah, he slept. Uh, he's on the yo-yo the time. as uh, yeah. the latest curb would describe. And now he's just he's looking seen at a me lot of podcasting. With, yeah, he's seen a lot of shit with the his Toronto Raptors. Yeah, over the brief uh, two years, he only knows. Uh, the good times, not the bad. Well, I guess he did see the the Cleveland sweep. Uh, the last yeah, and Dwayne Casey sweep. getting let go and DeMar DeRozan being yeah. traded. Yeah. But then he saw Kawhi Leonard. He saw an NBA championship. And now, to celebrate his two-year adoptiversary, he's getting to soak in a 15-game winning streak. Franchise record. As predicted here by Eric Kareen, the Toronto Raptors... Uh, tied and then beat their franchise record winning streak uh, by beating the Indiana Pacers on Wednesday and then bucking Eric's prediction. They just kept winning. They beat the Pacers again in Indiana, a game that Eric was at after a quiet deadline. They beat Brooklyn at home. They beat the Timberwolves at home on Monday night. Now they've only got one game left before the All-Star break. They could be rolling in on a 16-game winning streak, the largest winning streak in Canadian professional sports history, depending on where you want to draw the line about Canadian sports history. I saw after the game last night, there were some outlets that were tweeting out that it was a professional Canadian sports record, 15 in a row. And then there were people like, well, the Toronto Wolfpack in the second division of um, Rugby Super League last year have won more games in a row than that. To which... I get that people roll their eyes, but also the record that the Raptors were beating, according to some of these sites, was held by the Calgary Stampeders, and I don't think that Super League Rugby is any less of a professional league to consider than the Calgary Stampeders of the CFL. Uh, As I said to a colleague last night, the only difference is that we habitually cover, and this is not to besmirch the CFL, Uh, I've gone to my share of CFL games, but... In this country, we have a history of covering the CFL, and it is, you know, steeped in our, in, in at least certain parts of this country's history. And there is none, pretty much, aside from your, aside from your fine work and others' fine work at the Athletic, uh, of covering rugby, Super League, Division One rugby. What you know, Super so, League now? They're just in Super League proper. They're at the top. Yeah. So getting getting their asses handed to them, but they're there now. They're not going to break their own record anytime soon. Is what you're saying? Not this year. Um, so yes, like I I had to word it in my story. I included MLS, which I probably shouldn't have, but like it, they still do beat any MLS record. But if we're just going by the big leagues in, in terms of like the absolute top of the sport, which are NBA, MLB, and NHL. They have the longest winning streak. Um, there you go. There are still records to topple, though, here. Uh, obviously, the NBA record winning streak is 33 games in a row. Uh, the 1971-72 Los Angeles Lakers went 69-13 and on the year and didn't lose for over two months. That seems uh, pretty pretty unlikely to fall. You think of how long this 15-game streak is, and then you got to double it and more. Uh, more recently, the Warriors did 28 
twice, which is uh, also was that that was that were both of those over two seasons? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they only did it once. It was stretched over two seasons. My bad. Yeah, I was reading that chart wrong. Um, also on this chart, the Miami Heat are listed as having won fifty three straight. I think that's twenty three straight. I thought they got up to like twenty seven or something like that, and then they had that big game in Chicago and they lost. Uh, I Not could be according totally to this wrong. thing I have in front of me. Well, the thing you have in front of you is a lot more reliable than my memory. Uh, but uh, I will check that quickly. I'm yeah, they did lose one on one ninety seven to the Bulls to end that streak. But according to this, it was no, it says twenty seven game winning streak snapped by that's the first huh. when I write when I typed in Miami Heat streak lost Chicago Bulls. It says Miami Heat's 27-game winning streak snapped by Chicago. Well, there so you my go. Mem- my memory wins out. This is why... Uh... Throw that garbage sheet away, Blake. Yeah. Anyway, all of that is to say that there have been a lot of long winning streaks in the NBA. There are some 30 streaks of 16 games or longer in NBA history. Uh, the Raptors are closing in on Milwaukee's 18 game winning streak for this regular season uh chris black of sports that tweeted out last night that there have been 10 15 game winning streaks or longer in the nba uh, since 2012 2013 which is a lot i guess but like probabilistically in a top heavy league you're gonna get some some winning streaks of, of 15 games or more maybe a little rare to have two of this length in the same season but not completely out of the realm of possibility. Anyone who's been reading our stuff along the way knows that once the streak hit a certain length, I uh, started throwing probabilities at it. You know, oh, it's one in this by binomial distribution. After the last game, it was one in 133 based on the implied probabilities of the money lines. Uh, The Raptors were favorites again last night, but as you stack these on top of each other, it gets less and less likely that it'll continue. The one record I think that everyone thinks of when you think of historic winning streaks that the Raptors are, it's probably the the next one that the Raptors have in their sights, is the Undertaker's 21 WrestleMania win streak. Uh, the game last night against the Minnesota Timberwolves was their Batista WrestleMania 23 victory. Next up, before the All-Star break, is uh, Edge, which is timely, <laughs> considering he's uh, he just made his comeback himself. On this day, I yep. see clearly. Yawn this day, the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> Winners of 15 straight. Eric, you wrote about last night. Basically, I'll I'll let you describe it and tee it up here. But um, if anyone is not a subscriber and wants to read it, they can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six and get 40% off right now and check it out. Basically, your column was enjoy this, you clowns. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, not that, you know, I can focus on the negative sometimes. You might know that about me. Uh, Blake and the listeners, they might know that about me. And uh, when I was tweeting about the streak earlier, there was a bunch of people saying, well, we need to get rest. We need to, it doesn't matter until the playoffs. Uh, and I think that's sort of like a, I mean, the Raptors have had lots of good regular seasons and then disappointments in the playoffs. Uh, so that's probably baked into that sort of response. There was the whole Kawhi 82 practices thing that, uh, was mentioned last year and then the Raptors won the championship. So the regular season's importance was downplayed even further. And I mean, even Fred Van Vliet acknowledged that this is a streak in which if you look at the opponents, they should have won most of these games. Um, It's not like it's... They've been favored in 13 uh, of them. Yeah, it's not like they're filled with upsets, even though they've been filled with like improbable paths to victory. Although when you really think Here's, about it, every path to victory is improbable. Uh, so but, here are my two... But, sorry, but, but like, think about the Minnesota team that they just beat last night. Minnesota beat the Clippers by like 40 on on uh, a few days prior, Saturday. Uh, and this stuff happens all the time in the NBA. All the time. There's like one or two games every night where it's like bad team beats good team. And so, and to put together, you know, you have the numbers behind it, but to put together 15 straight wins, given the context of this Raptor season, given Kawhi and Danny Green leaving for, you know, no obvious replacement, given the injuries, and given just 
the identity this team has has taken for itself as, as one just that will not stop playing, that finds a way, that you know can cobble together victories in in different fashions. I think if you're not appreciating this, guess what? One in every one of thirty teams wins the championship every year. So you can hold out for that and only that, or you can really appreciate something truly special that. You know, as we were saying, happens like maybe once or twice a season, maybe for any team in the league. And for the Raptors has happened exactly one time ever now. Yes. So to the counterpoint that people were throwing at you on Twitter, that was kind of the impetus for your article of, you know, oh, the team needs to rest. The team needs to focus on the playoffs. The streak shouldn't be the focus. I have two counters to that. Number one is that the two seed is really important. And the Celtics have also been going gangbusters lately. Despite winning 15 in a row, the Raptors still only have a two-game cushion for the two-seed right now. Boston does have a slightly more difficult schedule down the stretch, but based on um, some of the more advanced metrics, Boston has maybe been more impressive in their 37-15 start than Toronto has in their 40-14 start. That two-seed, even as the Pacers kind of slide to the clear number six right now as Oladipo figures it out after his return... Uh, That two seed is going to be really, really meaningful. The difference between playing a really good team and playing Brooklyn or Orlando in the first round of the playoffs. Or if you're an absolutely delusional New York Knicks fan, maybe the Knicks. They're only six games out. Oh, boy. The other thing I would say is that despite how many of these games have felt close or how many of these games have had comebacks or blown leads or whatever, the Raptors have actually managed the 15-game winning streak really well in terms of minutes. Fred Van Vliet is averaging 35.2 minutes during the streak. He missed two of those games, um, so he doesn't have the full load. Nobody else averaging more than Lowry's 32.5. If you're talking about the ideal minute split for this team, this has been it over these 15 games. 32 for Lowry, 32 for Siakam. Uh, nobody else over 28 except for Van Vliet, who's who's maybe a tick too high. This has been it. They're, they're playing 9 or 10 deep. Most games, uh, pretty well balanced. Even Gasol before his injury was only averaging 26. So not up in the 30s where, you know, you think he may, he's maybe a, a hamstring re-injury risk. This is uh, this is what you'd want to see from a Toronto Raptors minutes uh, distribution. So they've managed to win 15 in a row and they're important for the playoffs. And they've managed to keep guys' minutes down. People are running out of things to complain about, I think. Uh yeah, and Patrick McCaw's plus minus has even been out of control during the streak, I believe. Um, it sure has. I was going to talk about that at the end, but let's just talk about it right now. Sorry. Um, uh, no, that's is, okay. Yeah. You go If ahead. you look at the Raptors' net ratings during the streak, uh, Norman Powell was number one. Obviously, he has missed the last five games. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson comes in at number two. Uh, last night certainly helped. He's been a plus 17.7 per 100 possessions. Patrick McCaw is next at plus 15.6. The Raptors have scored 119.6 points per 100 possessions with McCaw on the floor during this winning streak, <laughs> which doesn't sound possible. Oh, that's wonderful. How? Like, I, how? Well, how? This, is, this is the thing with on-off stats is that you get into these being pretty noisy. Yes. Um, which is fine. Yes, I, I think everyone understands that uh McCaw has played you know he's had the benefit of of maybe some friendly minutes and the biggest thing though and this is driving the plus minus of Terrence Davis and Rondé Hollis Jefferson as well to some extent uh the team is shooting 46.5 percent on threes when McCaw's on the floor during this stretch we do know that some players maybe a Kyle Lowry or Marcus Gasol can over a larger sample help lift the three-point percentage of their team when they're on the court Usually those players are either elite playmakers <laughs> or elite shooters or both. Patrick McCaw. Usually they're neither. not Patrick McCaw is what you're saying. If you look at the McCaw, Davis, Hollis, Jefferson groups, those are units that, you know, we talked early in the season about how fond we were of the Davis, Hollis, Jefferson, Boucher trio as a, as an energy bench trio. You have McCaw playing with them uh, a fair amount now too. A lot of that success is driven by um, variance in the three-point percentage. Which, you know, if you're looking for individual takeaways, you have to acknowledge something like that. 
However, in the big picture, the Raptors' success overall is not being driven too disproportionately by three-point percentage. So you at least take some solace in the fact that they're not, you know, there. there's actual winning taking place beneath the three-point variance. Uh, it's just those particular lineups happen to be benefiting from it uh, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's just a really wonderful stretch. And as a few people pointed out, like this, if they were like 12 and three over this stretch, first of all, they'd be in third place in the conference, not second. Um, but it would just be sort of like, this is the boring time of the year. Like, you know, especially when they've been without a clear test other than those two Pacers games to an extent, like a clear, you know, how good are we test? So I think it does give, like, even if the players aren't actively thinking about the streak, it does give them something to have in the back of their minds and to try and continue. And it certainly, I think, revs up the fans to another level than they'd be at uh, in, what month is this? February, just before the All-Star break. Uh, and and I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's... And you find guys contributing all over the floor. There hasn't, you know, Boucher hasn't been the best lately, but I mean, that's been some... A, a few how, tough, how dare you? Well, the Pacers games and, and uh, last night's game uh, against the Wolves—they were—they were rough for uh, Monsieur. The Pacers. Boucher. The Pacers are to Chris Boucher what Norman Powell is to the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know if you remember last and, year and the like, Indiana and the Indiana Pacers. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> last year Boucher was like having this MVP season in the G League. Uh, he gets called up and, like, played meaningful minutes in one game, and DeMontis Sabonis just owned him uh, with physicality. And then we didn't really see Boucher play real minutes again. Uh, yeah. He has well, not figured out the Indiana Pacers matchup. Yeah. They, A lot of dunks, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, they uh, – I you'll have to excuse me. I don't know number 88 on the Indiana Pacers name. You might. The the what? The white center – the bigger white center, number 88, on the Indiana Pacers. DeMontis uh, Sabonis? No, he does not wear number 88. No. Uh, Gogo Pataze? Sure, him. Um, like, in the first half of both of those... I think those, he's the only other white guy on the... Like, white big man on the Pacers. Yeah, in the first half of those games, Indiana was like, fine, we'll play this guy, which gave the, Ra- the Raptors a chance to play Boucher. And then when the Pacers basically just kept it to uh, Miles Turner and Sabonis... He really didn't have a place in the game, and he was getting worked, but that's okay because he is the 10th or 11th man on the roster, and he's a very specialized player, and not everything's going to fit for him, but he does some cool things. He had a you know had a fun dunk in transition last night, I believe, or was it sure Saturday? Did. I can't remember. Uh, probably He probably had one in both, let's face it. He um, had two dunks last night. Oh, neat. Uh, so there's really nothing to complain about right now. So stop trying. That's my point. You don't, you don't have to complain just because it's a day that ends in day. Am I giving myself self advice? Am I giving myself advice? Maybe, but, uh, yeah. I do think while they're not complaints, there are some important things to look at with some of these bench guys, because, as always, you know, if you presume the team will be healthy at some point, there are going to be some tough rotation decisions to make. So a stretch like Boucher having three or four iffy games while Rondé Hollis-Jefferson starts and plays 34 minutes and is awesome, it could, you know, I don't think they're going to enter the, like, I think they're going to enter the playoffs with seven rotation guys set if everyone's healthy. And then everyone else, you know, you might have guys who have an edge as eighth and ninth, but those can be pretty fluid or, or nurse might tighten the rotation up or whatever. Uh, but the Boucher Hollis Jefferson matchup is one that we've talked about a lot. And it looked for a little bit there coming out of Hollis Jefferson's ankle sprain that Boucher was ahead. Now it looks like maybe Hollis Jefferson's taking control. He just has a little bit more uh, defensive versatility and utility. Obviously uh, the reason Rondé Hollis Jefferson was so prominent in Monday's game is because he started at center against Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, Marcus Gasol still on the shelf with the hamstring issue. Serge Ibaka came down with flu-like symptoms. So the Raptors were down to exactly zero natural centers. Their options were start Chris Boucher, start Pascal Siakam 
and just slide everyone up but get an extra perimeter player in there. Or start Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. And they went with Holly Jeffy. And uh, 34 minutes plus 20. Pretty good. Uh, season high, 21 points. Just a just an awesome box score night for the starting lineup, by the way. Uh, career high, 25 for OG Ananobi. Also ties a career high with 12 rebounds. Uh, tw- season high, 21 points for Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. And Kyle Lowry had 27 points, 7 rebounds, and 11 assists. Somehow it was only a plus 11. I mean, I shouldn't say somehow. It wasn't that big a, a victory. It was an 11-point victory, and it was plus 11. But this was a peak Lowry makes everything easy for his teammates game. Hollis Jefferson, a big beneficiary on offense, and was pretty tremendous on defense, being asked an awful lot as a starting center. He also had one of the best post games of the year, uh, which you were helping out our man, John Krasinski. I'm I'm not totally sure if that's how you pronounce his last name. I'm just pronouncing it as if he were the co-star in The Office and Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. Um, But... Uh, Speaking of, shout out to Doug Stamper at the uh, at the Raptors game last night. <laughs> um, so after the game, Pascal Siakam is asked a question about Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who's just uh, getting dressed beside him, and he yells, "Shout out to PJ!" Of course, referencing PJ Tucker of the Houston Rockets, who is now their starting center at six foot five. And then Rondé took us on a journey through his heights <laughs> throughout the <laughs> throughout his NBA career. Say, at the uh, McDonald's All American game, he measured out the same as the Harrison twins from Kentucky, who were two guards who played for Kentucky. I, I believe at six four. And then he was like, "Yeah, I'm probably like six five without shoes, six six, solid, sturdy with shoes." Um, and he's still listed as six seven. So about about that, maybe he was just maybe he actually is six seven with shoes, and he was just looking for the extra credit. Uh, for I love the, this the that normally guys want their heights boosted, but now yeah, unless you really want to decrease, unless you're Kevin Garnett, who never wanted to be recognized as a seven footer. But didn't that, Kevin Durant fight fight up against it too? Probably that sounds like uh, I can't imagine Kevin Durant being petty about something. I've always thought that if you are an undersized guard, like if you're Fred Van Vliet, absolutely right now you want to be listed at six foot and one half inch as yeah. he was verified in the in the offseason. But once you get the bag, I'd be like, yeah, I'm 5'11". I'm doing <laughs> I, I'm doing this shit at 5'11". What are you going to do about it? I'm actually I'm actually 5'9". Um, but in by the way, of, d- you go, go sorry, ahead. just in, depending on where you look on the NBA websites. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson is either six seven or six six. Um, okay, well they they were supposed to verify all this stuff in the off season, and it was a huge deal. And now, if you go on NBA.com or a team's roster page or the media guide, there are different heights in every spot. Great job, NBA. Patrick Screw- McCaw is sometimes six foot seven and sometimes six foot five. The Patrick McCaw, who is the team's third point guard, may be taller than their starting center the other night. We don't know. We can't. We don't know which of these heights is is the verified verified. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. I'm glad we had a whole conversation about this before the season started. Like, why couldn't we have gone on with the same facade as we've had with the same facade that we've had for all of, you know, time in the NBA? Look, man, as someone who has done some online or app dating or whatever, I understand that people people got to nudge their heights up sometimes. I don't yes, really think there's a difference between 6'6 six, six and 6'7 six, when you're an NBA wing. I agree. So who cares? Why were we making such a big deal about getting these numbers right? Because like, then when you're writing about how Rondé Hollis-Jefferson goes up against Carl Anthony Towns, you have accurate information about just how comical it was. That which it he succeeded. immediately disputed. So, like, what am I supposed to do with that? I don't know. Ask ask him. Get a Get a second interview. Get a follow-up with him. <laughs> the athletic gets the truth. Um, he was yeah, awesome. We'll, we'll commission. Yeah, uh, he was awesome last night, and he had a lot of help. Like uh, he and uh, you know, in the D'Angelo Russell, Carl Towns pick and roll. Like it was often OG Ananobi and uh, and <laughs> Hollis Jefferson guarding the two 
uh, key figures and they would just swap the point guard and the center, which is a cool thing that you could do, like switch, switch the action. So it wasn't just, uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Ananobi was great last night as a defender in transition. Siakam was having a bit more trouble when he was isolated by Towns in the post, but his help defense, uh, particularly, I think one of the big swing plays of the game was when, uh, he, Carl Towns uh, faced up on Terrence Davis, which is not where you want things to be if you're the Raptors. Siakam came over from help side, got the block, scored. Uh, it was a four-point game at that point, I believe. Scored uh, going the other way, and the Raptors ripped off, I believe, like a 30-7 to run and after that to effectively end the game. So Siakam was great. There was some, you know, some of that typical great, Underman, undersized work from Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, not not necessarily with Towns, although sometimes, but finding a way to get rebounds or just to box out. But yeah, Hollis Jefferson was the guy who was matched up with him more often than not. He almost outscored him until Towns' late binge in the what was largely a, at least a half meaningless fourth quarter. Uh, Towns, I believe, had eleven points in that in that quarter, um, and. Uh, yeah, that that Rondé Hollis Jefferson understands, I think, leverage and body leverage um, better than a lot of players. And it was interesting hearing him talk about how he sort of fought against being pigeonholed as this, you know, small big, as he put it, uh, when it first came about and with the Nets. And he said he's just, you know, he's learned the league a bit more. He's become a bit more mature and understands his role. And, you know, you can see him getting outside of that role occasionally. But when he puts together performances like last night, you don't mind if he takes those two three-pointers. By the way, on this topic, I want to talk about James Johnson at some point. (laughs) Do it right now. Let's go. Uh one of my favorite sequences. I love James Johnson. One of my favorite sequences of the year, I think. James Johnson in in that fourth quarter, I believe, hits one three pointer, left wide open. Hits a second three pointer, left wide. I think that one was like semi contested, but still, pretty much, we're gonna make you do this. So James Johnson is feeling himself a little bit. Uh, he's got OG Ananobi in his face. Uh, you know, sort of above the break three off of no ball movement. In the post, there is Carl Anth- the aforementioned Carl Anthony Towns uh, trying to back down C- Chris Boucher, who is listed as 48 pounds heavier or lighter than Carl Towns. I would guess that actually might be kind to Chris Boucher, but either way, it's a size mismatch. And what does our boy James Johnson do? He takes the three and has it blocked. Oh, yeah. That was the OG Ananobi, like, almost standstill block. Yeah. Like, he didn't even have to jump. He he just... That was an incredible defensive play. Was it an incredible defensive play or was it a terrible offensive decision? I mean, he was standing almost flat-footed and blocked a three-point shot. Like, it was a bad decision. Doesn't that speak to the the crappiness of the decision? Okay, maybe not incredible. Maybe just incredibly was, on brand with like yeah. Ananobi's casualness about everything. Yeah. <laughs> also you on know, on brand was uh, on that level was OG's reaction after he made the key defensive play in the win over Brooklyn. Uh, he just sort of like shook his head and walked off the court. As, as yeah. How, how dare you, Karis LeVert? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I just. You know, I I was one of those people calling for James Johnson to uh, play more in his second stint with the Raptors. So I don't want to act like uh, this is now some retroactive Dwayne Casey was right stuff. Like I, and we certainly don't need to relitigate that. I hope, but uh, he does. James Johnson does some things sometimes that make you understand why he falls out of favor with coaches quite frequently. He also does some really cool stuff. Yep. That's pretty good defensively. He had yeah. three assists last night. He had, I thought you, I thought the play you were going to bring up was there was a, I think it was also in the fourth quarter, uh, in the right corner, like the one closest to, 
to us where where we sit. He like had this nifty little. It wasn't quite a dribble handoff, but he it was almost like a pitch play to get a teammate open for a corner three, and then like set like a pretty dirty brush screen, and the shot didn't like they didn't get the shot off and he got the ball back and I swear he just tried to do the same thing again like he thought his pass was cool enough that he wanted the highlight so he just went (laughs) right back to it I don't know for sure that that's what was going on in his head but it sure it's felt that way of just like oh yeah I did this cool thing and we didn't get the shot so I'm gonna do it one more time and see if I can get the get the credit for it yeah um I think we don't. Uh, this is a lot of time spent on James Johnson. I think it's better if he's on a good team than a bad team. I, I don't think that's going to be a long-term workable situation. But Minnesota doesn't intend on being bad next season. I have my doubts. We will see. They don't intend on being bad the rest of this season. Just ask Malik Beasley. They're still going to make the playoffs. Uh, they are not. You don't think that they can make up 11 and a half games over the final 30? Is that how far they are behind the eighth spot? It sure is. Yeah, they're not. That's not going to happen. No, it sure is not. I do think that there are going to be some games where they do things like hang 126 in a loss. And hang like 142 in a win over the Clippers. Yeah, they're going to score some buckets. Yeah, they did I last have, night. They had, they had have, six, uh, six consecutive... 30-point quarters until the Raptors held them to 19 in the seventh, uh, in the third quarter. Man, you love that stat, eh? Well, I, why I liked it is because I really thought it was going to be higher. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like 35 points or something like that. Um, and then it wasn't, and that was disappointing. Uh, oh. So I'm clinging to it. You want it to be one way, but it's the other. Thanks, Marlo. Tough break. Uh, yeah, the, the Timberwolves, not only do you have Carl Anthony Towns, who... Did not I mean, Carl Anthony Towns played what I would call a poor game on Monday night and had twenty three points and seven assists. He's uh, he's going to be just fine as an offensive fulcrum. Uh, D'Angelo Russell shot the ball pretty efficiently, uh, four or five on threes, which is really great for him. He had twenty two points on just fourteen uh, shooting possessions, but he had six turnovers. Uh, that was kind of the story. The Raptors tilted the turnover game in the second half after turning the ball over fifteen times themselves in the first half. Uh, the Raptors ended up winning. The turnover battle, uh, 23 to 18. The Wolves got pretty clumsy and pretty sloppy. And you can write off some of that to unfamiliarity since they have so many new pieces. And it was D'Angelo Russell's first game. But also, they don't have... I don't want to say they don't have high IQ offensive players. But I don't know that they have floor raisers uh, that can you know help the less well-rounded players uh, stay in the best positions to succeed. We did see Towns pick off some backdoor cutters and things like that uh, because the Raptors were giving so much attention to Towns and Russell. Um, you know, Malik Beasley got free a little bit. Wancho got free a little bit. Jarek Culver was cutting to the rim pretty freely. Uh, but those are the trade-offs you make. If you can hold Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell to 25 field goal attempts, I think that's a, that's a pretty good formula. The Raptors, once again, keeping an opponent's uh, top scores from dominating on the score sheet even if they were pretty efficient in their lower usage. And again, they did it with no center. I guess the one question I'd have, we, we mentioned Chris Boucher a little bit. The fact that he only played 13 minutes in this game, uh, a little surprising. The Raptors threw a lot of funky lineups out there. I, I don't know. I, I guess I just want to open it up if you have any other takeaways for how the Raptors approached the centerless game. No, I thought it was... I thought Nick Nurse read it well. I, I, I might have even leaned towards starting... Now, I, I'm not, I mean, this is literally a second guess, but had I been the coach, first of all, the Raptors would have a worse record than they currently have. Um, but I might have leaned to just starting OG and Siakam and going smaller and, and getting more of your quote unquote best players on the floor. Although, you know, best is so subjective and Rondé Hollis, Jefferson and Terrence Davis do completely different things. And uh, this worked out pretty well. And Boucher just, he was not having a productive game. And sometimes you want to let them play through it. But as you mentioned, the minutes have been in control. There's no reason to force feed him minutes if it doesn't appear to be his night or the correct matchup for him. Um, It's just what I find promising about it is that like, 
If the Raptors really get into some small ball series, which you don't, I mean, you look in the Eastern Conference and you don't see a lot of possibilities for that. I suppose it could happen in a Boston series, maybe, if if they decide to, um, you know, play with Marcus Smart and then Kemba and their three wings. I, I don't think they've used that lineup a ton, but it could happen. But you can see a world in which OG is, you know, your functional center, and uh, that was something we talked about a lot when he was drafted, and he's actually gone sort of down the positional spectrum as opposed to up more so. Uh, but you can see how their fun- his and Hollis Jefferson's functional strength can uh, benefit the Raptors going forward, and that just sort of plays into the theme of this team, which is... And the theme of the streak, frankly, which is versatility, Uh, not just depth, but the number of ways they can put games together and, you know, construct rotations. And they hope to have it be fairly stable uh, once they get healthy, if they ever get healthy. Uh, As I noted in my story, uh, Nick Nurse on Friday before the Indiana Indiana game was like, I think we're due for some... uh, Injury luck, if that's what you want to call it, or like a lack of injuries. And then in that same game, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson poked Pascal Siakam in the eye, causing him to like basically not be able to see in the second half. Uh, Kyle Lowry ran into Serge Ibaka, giving himself whiplash. And then Serge Ibaka got some sort of flu or flu-like symptoms that, as we, you know, speak, are probably just infecting the whole locker room right now, given the way the Raptor season has gone. Uh, so just don't speak about health ever again, Nick Nurse. But I, I think what this has shown is the number of ways the Raptors can figure things out, especially in a softer part of the schedule in the regular season. One more thing I wanted to mention from this game, we could just touch on it briefly. Uh, I thought Pascal Siakam aggression down the stretch was really encouraging. Um, we've seen him a couple times in close games or late games. Not not play poorly necessarily. His, his clutch time stats are actually pretty good. A little higher usage, a little higher efficiency. But the aggression with which he was matchup hunting down the stretch here and kind of just putting the offensive load on his back in that pull-away stretch, uh, I found to be encouraging. He finished the game at 34 points on uh, just 24 used possessions, which is really great. And he was able to get D'Angelo Russell on him like four or five possessions in a row and just turn him into a puddle. Uh, Minnesota has some defensive problems, <laughs> which were not immediately addressed by getting rid of Andrew Wiggins. Um, but yeah, he's, he looked very comfortable in that game. I thought he was pretty damn good against Brooklyn, too. Uh He'll obviously have whatever rhythm he is going disrupted by the All-Star break. But uh, I think, you know, the All-Star break will is it's fine. We don't I'm sure once they lose the first game back, we'll be judging. We'll be judging the uh, we'll be blaming it for the Raptors, the end of the Raptors streak. Uh, but Siakam looked good and his his shot, I think, has really been off for the last little while. Uh, and so it's heartening to see a few goes down. It, it, that was such Six a big, eight. that was such a big part of his early season success was, you know, his three pointer and also just his mid range game being able to either pull up or pull off the, uh, you know, this sort of Dirk one legger. And as I mentioned, when he came back from injury, I, th- I thought he was a bit, off balance with his jumper a bit too often, more than he needed to be. Nick Nurse had been uh, talking about balance in regards to Siakam a lot as well. I think more in terms of what he was doing in the post or with some of his spin moves, just not getting, you know, quite square um, when releasing. I think there have been promising signs that he's inching toward that. And uh, it's good to see because for the Raptors to reach their ceiling, they need Siakam functioning as something approaching a superstar offensive player. Yeah, Siakam's back to shooting 70% within three feet of the rim and 36.7% on threes on the season. Uh, the range in between still, you know, noticeably down from from where he was the last couple of years. But uh, those are the two most important areas, right? How he finishes at the rim, how he, how he knocks down those threes. Those account for 
a pretty big chunk of, of the shots he takes. So uh, if he starts to find his balance or rhythm or whatever you want to call it in that three to 10 foot kind of mini floater range, I think the offensive profile is going to look pretty good. Um, he's all right. Yeah, he's good. Pascal Siakam. He's good. Good enough to start in the All-Star game, I think, which is uh, which is coming up. The Toronto Raptors only have one more game before the All-Star break. It's against the Brooklyn Nets. Eric, are they heading into the All-Star break on a 16-game win streak? Who am I to predict a loss at this point? Uh, you know, I sort of I sort of thought they were going to lose both of the last two nights, so uh, I guess maybe I should. But I'll, I'll, I'm going to say they're going to win. There you go. They're going to win. I agree. The team that's won 15 in a row is going to continue playing well. Yeah. Coming out of the All-Star break, they'll have a four-game homestand. Phoenix, Indiana, Milwaukee, Charlotte. Uh, we won't predict that far ahead, but I think everyone's eyes are kind of going to be on that uh, February 23rd game against Indiana. Not that the Pacers are playing super well again, but it's hard to beat a good team three times in a row in short order. And then obviously the Bucks on February 25th will kind of be uh, a measuring stick. The Raptors may have an 18-game winning streak uh, matching Milwaukee's going into that one. Somehow, despite the extended winning streak, the Raptors are still six and a half games back of Milwaukee, who profile <laughs> right now as like like analytically one of the five to eight best regular season teams of all time. Uh, I think that people are maybe sleeping on that a little bit because they were so strong analytically last year and went up two games to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I forget what happened from there, but the Bucks, I guess, didn't win the championship after all of that. They did not. Um, so I don't know. Do you th- Do you think that people are underestimate or not underestimating but underappreciating the enormity of how good this Bucks team is well I think it's sort of the same thing as the Raptors winning streak right like because the Bucks were defined by what happened uh over four nights in May uh in, in late May last year there is uh certainly an element of prove them as an old friend might say uh People wanted want to see it in the playoffs, and you know, even though Kawhi Leonard is gone from the conference, and nobody will have quite that player to just throw at Giannis Antetokounmpo for you know half of the possessions of every game or, or whatever it ended up being, uh, people want to see the Bucks be able to do it to the playoffs, and for the reasons you mentioned, they don't quite trust them yet. But in terms of putting together an eighty-two game season, which is you know, most of the NBA schedule, despite how long the playoffs go, they have been awesome. They have been awesome without Giannis. I believe they played without Giannis last night, um, and or at least sometime recently. Maybe it was last night. Uh, he did have uh, his first son last night, so it would make sense that he yeah. said it. Um, yeah, I do not believe he played, and, and they won going away. They've been very good without him. Uh, both in games he's missed and just when he's been on, off the floor, uh, which doesn't make a not-MVP case for Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think he is still, to me, pretty clearly the MVP of the National Basketball Association. Um, so, yes, people are not appreciating what's right in front of them because they're worried about the future. Is there a name for that? No. No. Bucks, by the way, third in offense, first in defense, first in net rating. And there's, large, they're first in defense mind. by so much over your Toronto Raptors. Yes, there they, are huge. There are huge outliers in both offensive rating and defensive rating this year. Uh, the gap between them and the Raptors at number two is about the same as the Raptors at two and Miami at fourteen. Yeah, um, it's a it's big. If you're wondering, Dallas is. Uh, Almost three points per 100, better than second place uh, Lakers uh, on offense. On offense. And that gap is about the same as, yes, 14th Oklahoma City and second the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, there you go. So Dallas is good at offense and the Bucks are good at defense, but also offense. <laughs> they are yeah. good. They are very good. And that's why they have the best net rating by more than by four and a half points per hundred possessions this year. That's a lot. It's a lot. But, as we mentioned, they were also profiled really, really strongly last year. Um, all right. Looking ahead a little bit. Uh, actually, well, not as far ahead as the 25th. We'll, all-star we'll all-star weekend. 
Yeah. So, this is normally where we would do things like, hey, how do you think Terrence Davis will do in the Rising Stars game? Or, hey, how do you think Terrence Davis will do in the dunk contest? Or, Matt Thomas will do in the three-point contest? All we got is Pascal Siakam in the skills competition. And I love All-Star Saturday Night, but I cannot bring myself to care too much about that I'm I'm certainly not handicapping it. I refuse to do that. Yeah, he has the second worst odds of the field, uh, according to Vegas. But... One of his nicknames is P Skills. Yeah, but is he Skills without Yak? Oops. Is I guess what the question would be. Yeah, that's a fair question. He became yeah, so he pretty he, he pretty became spicy from, pretty he became spicy yeah. pretty quickly after Yak left town. He sure did. I don't know. Maybe Yak will be there hanging out. I'm not sure. It is All Star Weekend. The Raptors will have their coaching staff Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam on hand. I don't think you need us to break that stuff down. It's fun. It's cool. It's cool and fun. Probably will. Yeah. It is cool and fun. I love All Star Saturday Night. I think, uh, you know, our lead NBA podcasts, including No Dunks and the Daily Dime, will probably have some great slam dunk contest coverage for you from Chicago. That won't be us because the Raptors aren't participating in those events. And I don't know if you need to hear about Kyle Lowry's effective 11 minutes off the bench for Team Giannis. Uh, It is is nice that. Uh, do, like, you got to think that Nick Nurse is just not going to play Pascal and uh, and Kyle very much and just run Giannis into the ground. No, not run Giannis. Uh, well, yeah, just run every other player into the ground. Embiid's the one you really got to run into the ground, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to see what, like, somebody actually tried to do that and what the reaction from the league would be. Because the league can't actually do anything. I don't think there's anything within their power to do that. I mean, the league can convince Masai Ujiri to take the Knicks job, but it can't do anything about All-Stars using certain players um, too much. Yeah. Anyway, before you yelled out All-Star, where I was going to pivot with that, was uh, that the Milwaukee Bucks also added Marvin Williams via the buyout market. The Raptors, just quickly, uh, they did not make a move at the trade deadline. It's tough to tell, you know, we've got three weeks here before guys have to be bought out and they become available and eligible for playoff rosters still. Eric, is there anyone out there that you you have eyes for, could see the Raptors having eyes for if they shake free? Um, and you can't say Evan Turner just for the quotes because I already included that. In yeah, I haven't, I haven't done a deep dive into it. I, I did like the Marvin Williams fit and that dream. Me too, he's good. That dream died quickly. Um you know, I, I think based on last night, the, uh, and you would like them to positionally, even though positions don't matter that much, you would like them to get a bit more balanced and, and get another proven, semi-proven third point guard on the roster and, some, you know, some big, like even if you're just playing Philadelphia in a series to throw at Embiid for a few minutes, um because I don't think Rondé Hollis Jefferson is going to do quite the job on Joel and uh, on Joel Embiid, the villain. Uh, if you live long enough, you become the villain of your own story. Sure do. Um, so I don't know what the names are going to be. People are spe- we're speculating Tristan Thompson, but I believe Clutch does not have a long history. His agency, also LeBron's agency, they do not, and. Uh, uh, this is one of the fascinating subplots of of free agency is like any clutch clients becoming free agents like and having a natural fit with the Clippers like would clutch just prevent that from happening? I don't know. That's uh that's an interesting question because Tristan would be a good fit there. Exactly, but it sounds Tristan would be a good fit anywhere though. Yeah, he's he's a, he's, a, he's a good player, really good as a bio as far as bio goes. Yeah, um, and the tough thing is if the Raptors are healthy, there's not like the minutes are actually maybe available behind Pascal Siakam as a bigger wing if they're available at all. I'm saying like there are two point guards and there are two centers, and you know both of those player but at both positions they sometimes play together so there aren't a lot of minutes to offer a point guard or a center so it's not going to be somebody who's trying to you know build up the market for his next contract which a lot of buyout candidates are it's not just about ring chasing which i think is a common 
uh, a common error when sort of predicting how the buyout market will play. It's not just about guys looking for rings. It's about, you know, as we saw last year with Wes, Wes Matthews and uh, Wayne Ellington Wayne went Ellington. to Detroit. It's like they didn't go to the best team available. They went to teams where they knew they were going to play. And the Raptors, when healthy, are certainly seven strong. If you're a wing, you know, maybe you can convince yourself you're more productive than Patrick McCaw or Terrence Davis. Uh, but I don't know if the Raptors will be able to convince themselves of the same thing. So, you know, I still think the roster makeup will change just because they'll want to shore up the point guard and center thing, at least one of them. Uh, but it's hard for me to handicap for those reasons. Like I think any bigger name is probably going to find a more obvious landing spot than the Raptors. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree for the most part. Uh, I think the one fun, interesting one, just from like a personality and history standpoint, if biz gets freed, I could see that coming together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, It'd be fun. It would. But again, like he probably wouldn't play. No, he probably wouldn't, but that's a guy who might accept that. So yeah, uh, I would I would have thought it was really funny if the Raptors had gotten Michael Kidd Gilchrist, just because like he's the exact same experiment as Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Stanley Johnson, and it's just like yeah, let's chase one more with like an even higher pedigree and like maybe a better track record of contributing. Let's let's throw one more at it. As we discovered on. Uh the night of the Brooklyn game Saturday, three former number two picks bought out. Yeah. Pretty Evan amazing. Turner, Marvin Williams, Michael K. Gilchrist. Pretty amazing. The number, the history of number two picks is not, not great. Yeah. Kevin Durant is the, uh, exception, not the rule. Although I guess every one of the top 20 players of all time is the exception, not the rule. They sure are. In some way. Also, the exception, not the rule. The Toronto Raptors 15-game win streak. When we talk to you next, we may be talking about a 16-game win streak or an 18-game win streak. We don't know when we're going to talk to you next around the All-Star break, but we'll figure it out and get back to you. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Eric, thanks, man. Thank you, Blake. See ya!